morning, everyone. I was just thinking about the picnic. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we all wore Boston Red Sox t-shirts and we could see how forgiving our senior pastor is? Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> I, I heard that, boo. All right. What a joy, again, to participate. I, I love our home church. Don't you love our home church? Do you love your home church? Don't you thank God for a healthy church? I, I love what God is doing in all of our hearts, and I, I never take it for granted. It's, it's humbling, and it's a, it's a God-fearing thing to be able to stand here where the gospel is being preached every week. How, how many of you know that Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Freeze us from what? Freeze us from ourselves. I think it's Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper did a, a video on shallow. It's called shallow. Have any ever heard the shallow? Have any ever heard of Lady Gaga? Are you tired, boy, trying to fill that void? And what we've, we're discovering here that there's a void in all of us. And if Jesus doesn't fill it, we'll look for something else to fill it. And that's so dangerous. So this morning, as Henry VIII said to each of his six wives, I won't keep you too long. So let's get to the text. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Before we unpack the text this morning, I, I want to ask a question. Why is forgiveness so important for each of us? Everybody here knows probably for three reasons, right? We all need to be forgiven by God. How many of you are not perfect and you thank God that God has forgiven you? Okay, there's three of us. That's awesome. All right, so we know God has forgiven. How many has anyone ever trespassed against you and you've needed to forgive them? How many of you have ever trespassed against someone else and you needed to ask them to forgive you? Jesus said in Luke 17, 1, these words, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. And the word offend comes from the Greek word scandalon, and the word scandalon refers to the part of a trap where bait was attracted to to allure its victim. It describes a trap to bring people into captivity. And Jesus said it's impossible to live in this world and not have the opportunity to become offended. And becoming offended is a trap or a tool to bring our hearts into captivity and bondage. In other words, sin can blind us of this one truth. What is it? That just because you've been mistreated or misjudged and feel justified in withholding forgiveness, you never have permission to hold on to an offense. Almost seems unfair, doesn't it? Why not? Well, because two wrongs don't make a right, and God has forgiven you and me. So it's impossible to live on earth, wherever you live, on earth, with imperfect people, and not be offended. It's a trap for you to view yourself as a victim to ever justify withholding forgiveness. It's death to the soul, the scripture teaches us, to hold on to an offense. You say, well, I, I keep it to myself. Well, how many of you know if I had a five-gallon bucket of water here and a five-gallon bucket of gasoline here, and my neighbor, who, who does this every now and then, he, he, he builds a fire in the fire pit, and some embers floated over into our yard, and I had a bucket of water and a bucket of gasoline. 
If the embers hit the bucket of water, what would happen? The embers would go out. If the uh, embers hit the bucket of five-gallon bucket of gasoline, what would happen? All the kimchi in our house would explode. Is it the embers' fault? No, it's not the embers' fault. It's what's in the bucket. When I was in in elementary school, I had a crazy craving, chalk. Have any of you ever tasted chalk? Chalk. No, I used to... I won't say I ate it, but I tasted it. Mrs. Grimes, six, I used to love it when Mrs. Grimes would say, who in the class wants to erase the erase board today to get ready for tomorrow? Me and my, my hand would go up and I would, I would say, I hope she picks me. Now, why did we have to uh, erase the chalkboard at the end of every day? Any idea? Because a chalkboard that's cluttered and full and busy, unless it's erased, it's going to be no good for the next day. So Jesus comes along and Peter asks him a really radical question. How often should my, someone offend me and I forgive him? So what is forgiveness? Why is forgiveness from the heart so important? And what makes it possible to forgive anyone of anything, and how do you know when you've truly have forgiven someone or not? If you've ever been offended, I have two words for you. You're normal. If you've ever for, for, uh, offended somebody else, I have two words for you. You're normal. Pastoring at Binghamton First Assembly one Sunday, I'll never forget a sister walking out after a Sunday morning service. She, she stops me and she says this to me. She actually says this to me. She said, Pastor, when I got married, I knew my last husband's name was Wright, but I didn't know his first name was always. And she began to explain to me why she said, she said, my husband is, he's never wrong and he's always right and he will never apologize. So Jesus comes along and in Matthew 18, it's known as the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's a real-life story to communicate a practical truth. The parable of verse 21 to verse 35 follows a question asked by Peter. Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Now, why did Peter ask this question? He asked the question because according to Jewish tradition and rabbinical law, forgiveness was limited to three. According to Amos chapter 1, thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I'll not turn away the punishment thereof. And then in verse 6, he talks about Gaza, the same thing, and then he talks about Tyrus in verse 9. In other words, the idea is that God forgives three sins and punishes the fourth. So Peter senses that Jesus wants his followers at Trinity Assembly and across the Internet to extend even further. So Peter doubles the standard from three to six, then he adds one more for good measure. And how does Jesus respond in verse 22 to Peter? Jesus says, no, not seven times, but what? Seventy times seven. And what Jesus is saying here is this. Put your your calculator away, Peter. It's not about counting how many times you should forgive. That's really not the question or the issue. The real question isn't how many times do we forgive, The deeper question is, why should I forgive? How is it possible to give? And what's the only biblical gospel motivation to be a good forgiver and have a healthy heart? In other words, it's not about counting. It's not about recording. 
It's not about keeping a ledger. It's about the gospel or the basic motivation of unlimited forgiveness to live from the inside out. Is it three times? Is it seven times? Three plus three plus one. Is it 70 times? Is it seven times? 70, no. Jesus isn't giving us a math lesson in the text. He's giving us a grace lesson. It's a lesson on forgiveness, generosity with forgiveness. Now, there are three players in the story. I'll go through them quickly. The first one is the merciful king. Can you say the word merciful? Merciful. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. One of the debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. The debtor couldn't pay the debt. He begged for patience in verse 26. And in verse 27, his master took pity on him, forgave his debt that he could never repay. Now, here's the lesson. A king confronts a debtor that cannot pay his debt. The debtor owes the king 10,000 talents. Now hear this. 10,000 is the highest Greek numeral. A talent is equal to 20 years' wages. Today, 10,000 denaria is equal to one talent, would be equivalent to 400,000 in today's economy. So 10,000 talents would be approximately $4 billion or impossible to repay. One commentary figures the king in the story is owed over 150,000 years of income. Now, what does the king do when indebted servants plead for mercy? The king forgives the debtor, and he lets the man go free. Now, what is, why does Jesus say this? Because Jesus is the king in the story. We are the debtors, and we need to be forgiven. Like the debtor, it's impossible for us to pay the debt for our own sin. So God and Jesus at the cross is moved with compassion, forgives those who humble themselves in repentance and ask for forgiveness. And in this text, Jesus gives us a working definition of forgiveness. Here it is. One, forgiveness is not collecting what is owed. And number two, forgiveness is not punishing someone even though they deserve it. In other words, Jesus has forgiven us at immense cost to himself. How many of you thank God for the amazing grace of God that when you and I did not deserve it, God forgave us anyway? And Jesus has absorbed our debt even though he didn't deserve absorbing it. Now, don't miss this. Only the king, Jesus, can free us from our debt. God himself took on flesh and paid our sin debt in full. It was out of sheer goodness and grace. We paid nothing to obtain it. God has forgiven what we owed, released us from our guilt, and we contributed zero in the transition. So when it comes to forgiveness, Jesus is reminding us of what we owed. The servant in the story has no hope whatsoever to pay what he owed. And you and I have no hope of paying what we owed. Do you see how much we need grace today? Do you see where Jesus is going? We need grace. Will you turn to your neighbor and tell him, you need grace. God, tell him, you need grace. And now tell your neighbor, and I need grace. So there's the merciful king. It's Jesus. But now we come to where we live, the unforgiving servant, our temptation. In verse 28, the forgiven servant went out to another servant who owed him a much smaller amount not de and demanded payment. In verse 29, and when the debtor begged for mercy, the creditor rejected his plea and put the debtor in prison. 
In other words, the one who was forgiven much refused to forgive the other of little. Every scholar points this out in this text. The first servant was forgiven $4 billion in today's economy. And he goes out and refuses to forgive another servant of a few dollars. Author Gary Hansen writes it this way. He says, I quote, do the math and you can't miss what Jesus is saying. What is it? What we owe to God is far greater than what anyone else owes to us. Did you get that? What we owe to God, what we owed to God, is far greater than what anyone else owes to us. In other words, when the forgiven servant was asked himself for forgiveness of a debt, it should have reminded him, it should have reminded him of his own experience when he was treated with mercy and grace and kindness. What is Jesus trying to convey to us here? Those who fail to see how much they have been forgiven will default and fail to extend forgiveness to other people. In other words, those who understand the gospel and receive the grace of God for themselves should easily be convinced to extend forgiveness to others. Remember, the second debt that was refused forgiveness was only one six hundred thousandth of the first debt. So when someone offends us or trespasses against us or steals your parking lot at Walmart on Saturday when you were almost there, it's only equal to one in comparison to 600,000 times that we've trespassed against God. So Jesus' followers understand this. The foundation of a forgiving heart is understanding the forgiveness of Jesus' heart. And the basis for forgiving other people is remembering that God has forgiven you and me. And when we're tempted to think that someone might not deserve our forgiveness, we must remind ourselves, neither did we. Which means believers who are harsh, rigid, demanding, critical, fault-finding, have obviously forgotten how merciful God has been towards us. How many, well, this is being recorded. I got to be careful here, but how many of you can keep a secret? Oh, you lie, you lie, you lie. <laughs> oh, well, confession's good for the soul. You know, when I attended Valley Forge Christian College, I stood in lunch line and I memorized a thousand verses in four years, uh, word for word, to, to sow the word into my mind because I wasn't raised in the church. That I, at graduation, that I, I picked another group, and, and I've been working on tithing the Bible to memory because there's just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just so good. I was a kind of a C-minus student in school. You know what C-minus means? It means instead of, I didn't always show up at school. You know, when fishing season came, I had priorities. And um, so school was over. The Lord allowed me to graduate. Some kind of phi chi psi summa cum laude. I don't even, couldn't even explain what it was. God was good to me. He's been so gracious to me. And then in, in a first opportunity of ministry, I experienced something that was, I would call it traumatic, emotionally traumatic. It was, it was a deep offense, and it was, it was, I won't go into the story. I'll just say it was, it was, I couldn't believe what was happening. And I thought, and I kept it to myself. 
I thought, I kept reading, I kept memorizing Psalms 7 over and over. My defenses of God would save the upright in the heart. He made a pit and digged it and fell into the ditch which he made. I just went, I just, I just lived in that chapter for an 18-month period. And then one day I got a bright idea. I thought, you know what? This thing's going to blow up, and, and I've got to defend myself, and so I need a diary to write down everything, every little off, every offense. And so over the next nine months, I, I, I got a diary. I actually bought, got a, a diary, and I started keeping a record of, of offenses, date, time, and place with proof that could not be denied. I was really spiritual. Yep, I was really there. Yep. And then we go to plant a church. And then the first year of planting the church, the Lord put it on my heart to preach through the 1 Corinthians 13, 14 characteristics of agape love. You know, doesn't, you know, this, this, the patient, kind, all that. And I was doing great until I got to the one little verse that said, love keeps no score of wrongdoing. And I said to myself, that's got to be the devil. That couldn't be God. And all week was a horrible week. Every time I tried to pray and study, I heard these words. The diary. The diary. The diary. Now we had an electric. Our house was electric. All electric. The electric bill was four dollars to $500 a month. We didn't have the money. The church didn't have the money. And so I ordered 20 cords of wood. Got an airtight wood stove. Put it in the basement. Cut two holes in the bedrooms, two, two, two bedrooms in the floor. Put in a grate and the heat. It just heated the whole house. And one day I was at my desk and uh, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, the diary. Put it in the fire. God, you got to be kidding. I worked really hard taking care of this record. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart over and over during a seven-day period I said, you need to take, I'll remember the day when I walked over to the airtight wood stove with a glass front on it. It was a beautiful wood stove. And I opened the door and I put the book in the, in the, in the, in the fire and shut the door and walked back to my office with a smile on my face. I made a decision on that day at the age, age of around 26 or 27 to never write down and keep score again. You know Why? Because it was in that moment, while I was looking at what someone else had done to me, my focus had shifted from what Jesus had did for me. I never thought of that during this season of what God, through Jesus, had done for me. How many of you know there's a danger when we begin to keep score? So forgiveness is an intentional decision of our will to stop making what people have done to us bigger than what Jesus has done for us. Did you get that? C.S. Lewis says it this way. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Lewis also said forgiveness does not mean excusing. It does mean that you must make every effort to kill every taste of resentment in your own heart. To refuse forgiveness is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. How many of you want God to be merciful to you? One commentary said this about Matthew 18. We love the forgiveness of God towards ourselves, but we often hesitate to pass it on to others. Now remember, forgiveness and trust are different. Forgiveness is about the past. 
Trust is about the future. I choose to forgive every offense and offender. You know why? Because God has forgiven me. But trust has to be earned from observing changed behavior over time. You can forgive someone and yet still not trust someone. It's called boundaries. We can forgive people and still negotiate healthy boundaries until they prove they can be trusted again. Forgiveness is not being a doormat. Forgiveness is not being best friends with your offenders. Forgiveness is not denial of what happened. Forgiveness is not excusing. It's not forgetting. Forgiveness is remembering without anger. R.T. Kendall says it this way. The word forgiveness literally means to let go or send away. Kendall writes, forgiveness is to give up the right to get even or hold in debt someone who has wronged you. Forgiveness is to set someone free from an obligation to you. It may not change the situation, but it changes your attitude and protects your spirit. So forgiveness is a command, not an option. It's a choice, not a feeling. It's for my benefit, not the benefit of my offender. Okay, here's a question. Why is it often difficult to forgive someone? A wrongdoer, someone who trespasses against you. Why is it often difficult? Because it doesn't seem fair to those who have been wronged offended, or trespassed against? Why doesn't it seem fair to our natural mind? Because to forgive another is to release them from any obligation to you. In other words, to forgive as we have been forgiven requires an act of faith. It means we we are willing to release the right to get even. It's a willingness to entrust justice over to God rather than seek it for ourselves. How many of you know God is a good defender? How many, well, we can worship, how many of you can trust God with every area of your heart? Now keep this in mind. Being offended is an event. But living offended is a decision to replace certain events over and over and over and over. And you've all met, we all meet, we, all, we're, we can all be guilty. Forgiveness is not for others. Keep in mind, it's for you. It allows you to not be controlled by your past and other people's poor decisions. Evangelist Robert Maddu once said, The level of our maturity is often determined by our level of offendability. Okay, so there's the merciful king, that's Jesus. There's the unforgiving servant. And now there's you and me, the gospel heart of a Jesus follower. Jesus says in verse 31, 32, 33, Why didn't you forgive like I forgave you? The unforgiving servant suffered for his unwillingness to forgive. Jesus turned him over to tormentors. The same negative consequences happen to you and I if we refuse to forgive. Jesus said in verse 35, from the heart. Tortured. So here's the story. We forgive because we've been forgiven so very much ourselves. We forgive because as Christians we have the capability of forgiving that the unbeliever doesn't have. And we forgive because of the torment which an unforgiving spirit inflicts upon us. Jesus said, we are tortured whenever we become unforgiving. Tortured. You ever wonder what Paul meant when he said, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you? You ever wonder, you know what that means? Ever wonder what Jesus meant when he taught us to pray this way? Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we what? Forgive those who trespass against us. Here's what Pastor Tim Keller says on on these two, two verses. He said they mean this. 
An unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. And secondly, Keller says, if you meditate long enough on what it cost God to forgive you, it will melt your heart enough to pass on the same to those who offend you. Did you hear that? If you meditate long enough on what it costs to forgive you, you'll melt your, well, I'll feel when I forget. Well, I'll forgive when I feel like it. You might not feel like it. I'll, I'll forgive when they apologize to me. They may never apologize to you. But you can be a good forgiver. How many of you thank God? The grace of God that saves us is the same grace of God that can help us humble ourselves and be good forgivers at the same time so our heart does not get filled with toxins and poison and defile and stain other people as we enjoy the journey at Walmart, Kmart, Chick-fil-A, rooting for the Red Sox. Whatever happens in your life, God gives us grace. Forgiveness always costs somebody something. So forgiveness is a willingness to absorb the cost that someone else really owes. John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur said this, nothing so characterizes the new nature of Christians as forgiveness because nothing so characterizes the nature of their Lord. He also said, never are you less like God than when you will not forgive. Last point, last question. How do you know when you've truly forgiven someone? That's a great question. How do you know? Here's the answer. When you've surrendered the need for retaliation. No need for revenge. I don't need to get back. I've let them go. And the thought of their offense does not impact my mind, my mood, my attitude, or my behavior. Forgiveness doesn't eliminate the truth it's of the reality of what happened. It simply understands that holding a grudge always comes at a cost. How many of you want to be good forgivers? Now, I'm not a big novelist. I love to read. But in 1861, novelist Charles Dickens, he published a book entitled Great Expectations. In his book, Dickens writes about a wealthy spinster named Mrs. Havisham, whose wedding day turned into a nightmare. Her fiancé was an intentional no-show at the wedding. He defrauded and deceived his fiancée. Miss Havisham was humiliated and offended at 8.40 a.m., the time of her planned wedding. Why anybody plans a wedding at 8.40 in the morning, I don't know. But I wasn't there, and the story's probably, you know. And how did she respond? Here's what Dickens says. She permanently stopped all the clocks in her house at 8.40 a.m., as a constant reminder of her pain, her offense, her hurt, and rejection. Dickens says she didn't die, but she stopped living. She never stopped wearing her wedding gown, and it turned yellow and faded. She was held hostage by her experience for the rest of her life. Even if her clocks were correct twice a day, she lived the rest of her life in past pain. What's the takeaway? What's the lesson? What's the application? Whoever, whoever we refuse to forgive will keep us stuck and hold us hostage to our past pain. In other words, when we choose to not forgive, we repress our pain, and whatever we repress will eventually resurface in unholy, unhealthy ways. So, has anyone offended you? 
and you've chosen to stop your clock? Is there any offense or offender that has you stuck in past pain, past tense pain? Is there anyone you need to forgive so you can really live again? Haven't we all seen what happens to people who respond like Miss Havisham? You know, Mother's Day, uh, Pastor David, he taught us how to do three things. He, he taught us how to find the sheep and feed the sheep and fight for the sheep. At the end of the pastor's message, he, he said these words. He said, think of one or two people you can fight for. I've been thinking about that every day ever since I heard that. Well, this morning, can you think of one or two people that you might have trouble forgiving? Has anyone that's caused you pain or offended you or trespassed against you, anyone that comes to, causes you to feel angry or speak negatively about and stain and poison other people? If there are people, today's your day. To do what? Open the wood stove. Put it in the fire. Give it to God and let God work out all things together for good, for your glory. How many, how many of you thank God for his grace that can help you to be a good forgiver? Only God can do this. Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer as the worship team comes just for a moment? Just pause for a moment. Pause why? Well, think of the great mercy of God towards you. Think of how God has changed and is forming your heart, your affections. Think how God has made it possible for you and I to have a healthy soul. You know what a soul is? Your soul is made up of three parts. Your mind, the ability to think. Your emotions, the ability to feel. And your will, the ability to choose and make decisions. If you want those three things in your soul to be healthy... Jesus teaches us we must learn and continually learn and continually practice and continually to humble ourselves and ask God to help us to be good forgivers. Forgiveness will, will do a thousand things for you, and medical researchers have proven that unforgiveness causes 15 to 20 specific diseases that are, that are caused by imbalance in our immune system because of anger, resentment, and bitterness. But forgiveness opens the door. Forgiveness, I think, kind of like frees us from ourselves, self-imposed. So wherever God finds you today in the journey, what's the Holy Spirit saying to your heart? Is there someone that you need to give to the Lord? Some offense you need to ask, to ask, you also need to give to the Lord? You know, an apology, a real biblical apology is to say, simply say, hey, I was wrong, I own this, will you forgive me? For, forgiveness is not, apology is not saying, going up to someone and saying, oh, I, hey, I know you feel this way, but, no, that's not an apology, that's blame. Is God calling you to humble yourself to ask for forgiveness from someone? Have you offended someone or has someone offended you? And on this beautiful Sunday, you need to, 
You need to. You want to. The Holy Spirit will give you grace to. Say, God, change, change something inside of me that needs to be changed. If you're here and you know there's something inside, inside of you that God is wanting to change, and you're willing to give God permission, you're willing to simply align your heart with his truth. It will free your heart to really enjoy the journey from a healthy soul. So if that's you and you know there's something or someone God wants you to take action. He wants you to do something. Not to earn, but to be obedient. If you know there's something that God wants to do or change inside of you, and you're willing to participate, you're willing to say yes to Jesus, if that's you, would you just, just can I just, just slip your hand up and say by slipping it up, Jesus, that's me. God bless you and you and you and you. God bless you for your transparency. And you, yes, sir. Lord, you know where we live. You know what we need. And God, we're grateful. Holy Spirit, continue to work with us, work in us, work through us. Deal with our hearts, God. Make us great. Make us generous forgivers. If givers really are the people who change the world, God, Help us to be radical forgivers. God, will trust you for it. We'll thank you for it. We'll believe you for it. We'll give you the credit. We dare not touch it, Lord. 